I'm a little nervous about preaching this morning because the orchestra pits open and there's nothing in it. And I don't want to be the thing in it, so <laughs> I may stay on the other side here this morning. We have been involved over the last six weeks in a series called Credo. And the whole idea of this series has been to look at what we have believed, what we believe as a church, and what the church has believed through the centuries. And so we've looked at particularly the Apostles' Creed, which we just used this morning, another creed called the Nicene Creed, which are historic creeds declaring the basic foundations that, that literally all believers affirm in Christ. And we've looked at God the Father and talked about that, God the Son. Last week we looked at God the Holy Spirit. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the idea of the church and what the creed says about the church. So the Apostles' Creed, which we just said a few moments ago, says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The Nicene Creed just adds a little bit more to that. I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And I think it's important at the very front end as we look into these things to identify just a couple of things that often bring confusion before we get into talking about the church, and that is just some, some clarification about what these creeds say. The Nicene Creed is the longer one, so let me just break this down. It says, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. What we believe that means is this. First of all, I believe in a holy church. That doesn't mean the church itself as an organization, as denominations, as they are constituted in buildings all around the area. We're not saying that they are holy or the people in there are holy in and of themselves. What we're saying is the people who are in the church and the church of Christ is made holy by the blood of Jesus. So I believe in a holy church, a church that's been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing is Catholic. This confuses a lot of people. This does not mean... I believe in the Roman Catholic Church. It means I believe in one holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. So the idea there is I believe that God has a people, and they're all around the world, and I believe all these people who are in his church, are that's one church around the world, okay, the universal church. Thirdly, what we say is um, I believe, click, in the apostolic church, and, the, and that idea is simply this, that we... We believe in the beliefs that go all the way back to the apostles that are embedded in the scriptures and what the scriptures teach is the basis of what the apostles instructed the church. And, it, and so when we talk about the holy Catholic church and apostolic church, those are the things which we are affirming when we stand up and give these creeds. Now this morning, we want to spend some time thinking about the church. And I have to be honest with you, as I reflected on this, as BP asked me to speak on this, uh, there were some tensions within me to speak about the church. Let me go back to a movie that goes way back to 1971. The movie was entitled The Devils. And it's interesting that The, the Devils was about a, a Catholic priest in France by the name of Father Grandeur. And Father Grandeur was very popular, very charismatic, and had a very strong move, uh, movement uh, in France. At the same time, there was Cardinal Richelieu. And if you know anything about history, you know Cardinal Richelieu was a dude that was out to get power, and he wanted to control France. And in order to control France, he had to somehow deal with this Father Grandeur. He had to, he had to either get Father Grandeur to come alongside of him and to align with him, 
which would mean giving up some of the things he was doing and, and stopping some of his movement, or he was going to have to get rid of him. Well, obviously, Father Grandeur, the tension of the story uh, will not recant, will not change his opinions, will not get behind Cardinal Richelieu. So the cardinal has him arrested on trumped-up charges, and uh, so often is the case, in order to get him to confess, they take him into the torture chamber, and the Jesuits are in there putting him through the torture. And, and the, most, the most impactful, dynamic, intense scene in the entire movie, you have Father Grandeur, who is on the rack, being stretched to the limit, crying out. And in the midst of his most intense pain, enduring this torture, one of the priests leans over and whispers into his ear, do you love the church? And Father Grandier responds, not today. Now we laugh about that. And the first time I heard it, I laughed at that. If you were in the movie, you wouldn't be laughing because it was such intense, but you stop and you think about that. Do you love the church? Not today. As I thought about that, I thought, boy, that kind of sums up some of my experience in the church. You see, the church is made up of forgiven sinners. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. That really sums it up. The church is made up of people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. God had to do a miraculous work to transform our hearts to make us alive together again in Christ. You see, when you stop and think about the church, at least from my experience over the years, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. I grew up initially really disappointed with the church. My parents would take us to church every Sunday, and I never really thought it was all that much. I mean, I sang in little kids' choirs, and I did, went to the Sunday school class, which really doesn't do much of anything. I mean, I remember playing with stick figures on the blackboard in Sunday school class. It really didn't take us anywhere or give us anything. And by the time I was in middle school, I was pretty disillusioned with the whole church thing. And by that time, my parents said, if you want to go to church, you can. If you don't, that's your choice. And I decided not to. I just felt like it was, it was a, an outmoded religious institution and a social institution that didn't really have any relevance until a friend of mine invited me to an activity with his church youth group. And candidly, for the very first time at that activity, I heard the idea of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that God Almighty himself came to us and reached out to us to establish a relationship. And it was like a light bulb went on inside of my brain. I thought, this is it. This, why haven't I ever heard this before? This is what it's all about. And by God's grace, he brought me to himself, and I, and I became a Christian at that activity. And for many reasons, I fell in love with the church. I mean, that's where I met Jesus. And in the context of that church, that's where I grew in my faith through youth group and through classes, Sunday school classes, and through small groups, and through phenomenal teaching, and through great worship services. I grew in my faith, and I deeply appreciated the church. It was the church where I learned about my own gifts and what I could contribute, and began utilizing my gifts and and seeing how that made a difference in, in other people's lives. 
It's there where I, I established lifelong friendships. I experienced acceptance and forgiveness. But I have to be honest, the church is also where I've experienced some of my deepest disappointments, some of my greatest hurts and frustrations and pain I've experienced in the context of the church. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship. And I'm, I'm wondering this morning, there may be people in here that are like me. In some ways, the church has been a wonderful place for you. But in other ways, it's been a place of disappointment where it hasn't lived up to the hype. It's made promises that it hasn't kept. And you've experienced disappointment. I think for us who've experienced the church like that, it's really critically important that we remember that the church is full of sinners. I was talking with a pastor friend one time about this and shared some of my disappointments and things, and he he was very blunt with me. He said this, He said, Bob, you've got to remember two things. First, the church is a harlot. The church is a harlot. But he said, she's also your mother. And you don't reject your mother. Wow. That hit me. You don't reject your mother. Then he went on. As I was trying to get my head around that, he went on and he said this, Bob, if the church is a harlot, it's because I'm a harlot. He said, if you don't like the church, you have to look at yourself first. Wow. The church is made up of sinners who disappoint you. And I'm the worst one. I disappoint God, I disappoint myself, I disappoint others. The church is made up of sinners. Maybe you're like me this morning. What do you do about that? Well, here's a couple of ideas, things I've worked on. First, I've had to work hard to remember what it took to bring me to Jesus. When I'm disappointed with the church, I have to look at myself and say, look at you, sinner. If it wasn't for the love of Jesus Christ, you'd be an arrogant snot that nobody could put up with. I have to look at myself and remember, I was dead in my transgressions and sins, and God in his kindness reached down, and by his grace he saved me. And he saved all the other people who are followers of Christ in the church. We're a bunch of broken sinners who've been saved by grace. Of course we're going to disappoint each other. Of course we're going to come across like hypocrites because we're broken. By grace we're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Nobody can boast. The second thing I have to remember is this. What does it take to have a healthy family? BP and I, Brian Pierce and I, got into a conversation about this this week as we were talking about the fact that the church is made up of sinners. Well, families are made up of sinners. What does it take to have a healthy family. Now, some of us are going to be going home for Thanksgiving, and some of us are really excited about that, and some of us don't always, aren't always sure we want to go back to be with our families at Thanksgiving because, you know, the, of the challenge. What does it take to make a fa- healthy family? Well, as we talked about this, we, we, we could make a long list, but at least two things stood out that you need to have for a healthy family. The first, you have to have repentance. 
And what do I mean by that? It means you have to be willing to own up to your own brokenness and to not arrogantly stand up against your wife or your husband or your sisters or your brothers and say, I'm right, you're wrong, get with the program. You have to have a heart that's humble. You have to have a heart that's willing to listen to your partner and hear their pain and their hurt and their disagreement and to bracket off your own arrogance and your own right to be right and listen to their thoughts and their feelings. The second thing that you have to have is what we call fair fighting. The communication and conflict would be done with respect and care for one another. Man, that takes work. I mean, listen, my wife and I have been married now for over 38 years, and we're still working at that stuff. My arrogance and pride still gets in the way, and I have to ask her to forgive me. We still have to work at trying to communicate and conflict in a way which is respectful and honoring to one another. And that's the kind of stuff that has to be happening in the church. And we're going to be doing things here in the church over the next year to try to help us understand how to do that effectively. But you have to look at a church from its leadership on down that is repentant and is willing to, to try to work things through things, conflicts and misunderstandings in a responsible way as we think about the fact that the church is made up of forgiven sinners. Now, there's a second thing we need to look into as well, and that is the fact that Jesus is the one who is building his church. <clears throat> there's a great passage in Matthew chapter 16 Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter, responding for the, the, uh, the disciples, says, well, some people think you're John the Baptist res- resurrected from the dead. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're one of the prophets. And Jesus then gives the clincher. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus responds and says, listen, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you think of the church, Jesus is giving us insights here on what his church is. And there's three key points here, at least, in what Jesus says to Peter. The first is this, whatever the church is, it's what Jesus is building. We've got to remember that the church is not Presbyterians or Baptists or Lutherans or Episcopalians. Those are all manifestations of organizations which over the centuries have gotten together and have tried to understand and and, and express what the church is. But the key understanding that we always have to keep in mind is the church is what Jesus is building. So that when we experience disappointment or disagreement or struggles, We have to remember that the church is sinners, but that Jesus is doing something unique in his purposes in all creation, and he will bring about his purposes. He is building his church. The second thing we have to see from this passage is that he is building this church on a rock. He says, on this rock I will build my church. Now, you don't have to go too deep to understand that there's been a lot of disagreement over the centuries about what Jesus meant. You know, is he talking about Peter? Was he talking about what Peter said? What what does it mean? I just want you to know what we believe here at Seven Hills Fellowship. We believe the rock that Jesus is building the church on is at least two things. 
The first is this. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's what Paul later says in the book of Ephesians. That means we think that the scriptures and what has been given to us in the scriptures is a reflection of what the prophets and the apostles has given to us. And it's built upon the convictions and the belief that you find in the scriptures. Then also from that we believe that God has established elders in the context of his church who are the overseers responsible for what's happening. As a matter of fact, it says in the book of Hebrews that God is going to actually hold the elders of the church responsible for all that's happening in the context of the church. He will hold them accountable. And so we believe that God gives elders who are God's delegated overseers to be thinking about the health of the church, the way that we do fair fighting, the way that we do repentance, building up and nurturing one another. Okay? The third thing we have to see in that passage is that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against what Jesus is building. We're going to see churches crumble. We're going to see churches close. We're going to see problems. We're going to see church splits and all kinds of other issues. But the fact is, is that Jesus is building his church, and ultimately even the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Jesus is going to win, and he is accomplishing that in the context of this broken instrument he calls the church. And we have an opportunity to be part of that. So that's the thing I want you to see, what the church is, that Jesus is building the church. It's made up of a bunch of sinners, but Jesus is building it, and his purposes are going to end the process. He is going to complete his work because the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Now, the third thing I want us to see this morning is that the church itself ought to be both a home and a mission. The church ought to reflect both of these characteristics. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, early in Mark's gospel, he talks about Jesus calling calling the disciples to be with him. And it says he appointed the 12 for two things. First, to be with him. And secondly, to send them out. And we see this dynamic of being with him and being sent out. With him, sent out. Home and mission is constantly happening in the scriptures. And it's what he expects his church to be like be both a home and a mission. So let's look at both of these briefly. The idea of being a home, to be with him, this at at least means to be a community where believers are being nurtured and and grown in their faith. And so as as we think about our worship service, as we think about community groups, as we think about activities like like the block party we had in October or the, the, the party we're going to be having you know, for, for, uh, for finals or the parties we're going to be having uh, at, during the Super Bowl or the college championships and, and all these different activities. The excuse for all those is to provide community and nurture, to be a home where you as a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, can find a place of connection, of relationship, of encouragement, of strengthening. Like it says in Colossians chapter 2, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. This established rootedness, walking, are the things which the church needs to be doing to nurture the believer and to build community and encouragement. So on the one hand, the church is supposed to be a home. On the other hand, the church is to be a mission, 
a place where we are sent out, a place much like in a family where the church is a, uh, the family is a place of nurture, the family also is a place of mission where one of the responsibilities of parents is to help launch their kids. One of the responsibilities of the home is to help everyone understand how they fit in and, and who they are and what they can be doing and in being involved in, in the world and, and how their gifts, they're gifted. So in a similar way, the church is set up to do this. And so we like to think of our responsibility as raising up every person in the church as a vocational ambassador. That means wherever you go between Sundays, you are literally an ambassador of Jesus Christ, called by him to be involved in construction, to be involved in in law and the court systems, to be involved in teaching or in school, to be involved in business, to be involved in neighborhoods and with families. All those activities are God's calling upon you to be his ambassadors wherever he would plant you. And so a lot of the other activities that we're involved with in the church as we, as we plan and structure things, like the Life on Purpose seminar, things like that, those things are designed to help you consider your mission as a vocational ambassador and how you can be most effective for God's glory where he has planted you between Sundays. Kind of like the idea that Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Well, salt doesn't do any good just in a salt shaker. You have to spread it out around the meat. In a very similar way, how are we spread out as his ambassadors? And so we see in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus told the disciples, Go, therefore, and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The key operative words there are go, therefore. And the words there in Greek literally mean while you're going. While you're going to class. While you're going to work. While you're going to the grocery store. While you're going, be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. A home and a mission. A home and a mission. Is what the church ought to be about. So, as we click and come to a level of conclusion here, the things we have to think about when we look at the church and we think about the church and we make a confession, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we begin by looking at ourselves. And if we experience disappointment with the church, we have to really be, like my elementary school teacher, she said to me one time, if you point your finger at somebody else, you're pointing three back at yourself. We have to begin looking at ourselves and saying, if I'm disappointed, I have to remember that I'm a sinner. And the church is made up of sinners who are forgiven by God's grace, accepted and loved by the Father. And therefore, that's the foundation where I begin. But then, to... To get this to click, (laughs) I might need your help, brother. There we go. To be encouraged that Jesus is building his church. To remember in the midst of our brokenness and our struggles that Jesus wins. Jesus is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then finally, the church's calling is to be a home and a mission. Now, applying this practically, I was was thinking as, as we experience the church on a week-to-week basis. Some of us are Romans. We live here in Rome, and this is where we live and work. Some of us are students who are going to be here for a period of time. All of us are responsible before God in the process of making decisions regarding the church. 
And so I thought, you know, it might be a good idea to finish this by, by just asking, how do you select a church? What are criteria that we need to be thinking about as we graduate from college and get ready to move on and, and move to other parts of the country or literally parts of the world? What are the things that we should be looking for as we consider joining a church? And some of them are going to sound familiar because we've been looking at them already. But just follow this. First of all, ask the question, what does a church believe? What are their basic beliefs? Do they f- believe in the, in the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Do they take the scripture seriously or they, do they just think they're, they're good ideas that maybe you should consider sometimes? What's their basic foundational beliefs? Is, are the scriptures foundational? Do they try to build their whole belief system around what the Bible teaches? First of all, what does the church believe? Secondly, how do the people relate to one another? This is how you walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And how much is the church seeking to promote health in the way people interact and work together? And does the church work on nurture and community, developing fair fighting in communication and conflict? When there are disputes in the church, is the leadership sensitive and concerned about the way that those things are taking place and and working at resolution? A third thing you have to look at is, that does the church do home and mission? Is it a place of nurture? But is it a place of sending? Is it a place of developing and growing, but also shaping and molding to be investing in the world as his ambassadors? And the final thing, which I haven't even talked about this morning, this is really not fair because I haven't even brought this up, and now I'm dumping it on you at the very end. But, but I think it's really critical as far as the, the selection process. How does the church approach culture? The way a church approaches culture is really going to to set you off in understanding the philosophy of ministry, how they're trying to get things done. There's four different ways churches can approach culture and four ways you can approach culture. The first is this, to withdraw from it. There are churches who are saying, "Uh oh, everything in the world is bad. We've got to pull back. We've got to stay away from the world. You know, the old way of saying it was, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. You know? I'm going to withdraw from the world. I'm going to pull away from the world because everything about the world is unholy and I'm supposed to be a holy huddle over here in the church. And there are a lot of churches that take that position. We're just going to withdraw away from society. There's a second way of looking at it. Churches that say we're going to accommodate. The world is changing, so we're just going to go ahead and change with it. And you really can't see much difference between the world and the church. We're just going to fit in and everything's going to be just sweetness and light. So the latest trends in the church in the world become the latest trends in the church. The social conditions of the, of the world become the social conditions of the church, and there's no difference. The third way to look at the uh, culture is what might be called dualistic. It's harder to get this around. But the idea behind that is, well, this is the sacred and this is the secular, and I, and I can't expect the, sec, the sacred to be secular or vice versa, so I'm going to do my thing at church, but then I'm going to go, go do my thing in the world, and kind of, I'll do the best I can in the, in the world, but then I'm going to come back to the church where it's really sacred. A, a common idea there is, if you're really holy, you become a minister. No, if you're really holy, you become a, a missionary. And if you're, you're not quite that holy, you become a minister. And if you're not quite that holy, then you get a good job to make as much money as possible to give money to the church. But it's this secular, sacred breakdown 
And a lot of churches present that by saying, really, if you want to be involved in the kingdom of God, you've got to get involved in the church and do things in the church. Nothing wrong with that. We, we do everything around here with volunteers. But we're not saying that there's a distinction between these two. The, the fourth thing that you look for is a, is a transformational perspective. And that is that we want to see all parts of society and culture transformed by the gospel. And we are vocational ambassadors involved in that. So that's just a kind of a clue in. This, churches don't even really talk together about the way they're going to approach culture, but they generally take a slant one way or another. You need to be aware of how churches are approach things. Obviously, here at Seven Hills, we take more of the transformational view of, of approaching the culture. So what is the church? Church is the place that's full of sinners like me, but a place that Jesus is involved in building, that Jesus is working his purposes out, and the gates of hell will not prevail, regardless of the name that's over that individual church. Jesus is building his church. And the church is called to be both a home and a mission. And we are called to be discerning where we are investing our times and our, our time and our energy for his kingdom. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church because God's at work, working his kingdom out. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, even as we look into this week of thanksgiving, with all of its busyness as we go home, as we spend time with family and things, I pray that we would remember that you are doing something in this world, bringing about your purposes, and you're doing it graciously through broken people like us. Father, I pray for Seven Hills Fellowship that we would be a church that reflects what it means to be a home and a mission, that we would be a place where we repent and confess our sins and we work hard at relationships, that we would understand what it means to be sent into the world as your ambassadors. Lord God, there's no such thing as a perfect church except the church that you have built for eternity. We pray that you'd help us to reflect what you're building, recognizing that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen.